welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we move into the book of 2 Samuel, David returns from his battle with the Amalekites who attacked him. And an unfortunate Amalekite man comes to tell David that he has killed King Saul for him. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. The title of the message is, A Heart After God. 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. As we start this new book of the Bible, one of the things we need to understand is that Originally, it was not a new book. Um, First and Second Samuel were originally one book. They were written by the same author, same composer, whoever put it together. So both books have a a unity in their in their purpose. They're both of them written to show us how Israel goes from the spiritual and moral decay uh, of the time of the judges to the glory of the monarchy under David, uh, the man who is after God's heart. Because of this, you know, it's interesting when we, we go through the scriptures, you've got the, you know, the law, all the first five books of Moses. So it takes us from creation to Israel on the edge to go to the promised land. Then you move into Joshua and then we get Israel conquering the promised land and then allotting the, the various sections of the promised land to the tribes. And then you get to the book of Judges and it all starts going downhill. And they go through these cycles of disobedience, judgment, repentance, and deliverance. And they just go through these cycles. But then you have in this thing where things just keep getting worse and worse in Israel, in Judges, you have this beautiful ray of hope in the book of Ruth, right? You have this example that not everything was awful and ungodly and wicked and everybody doing whatever they think is right. You have the book of Ruth where you see two individuals, Ruth and, and Boaz, who are godly people and who are trying to be obedient to the Lord. And so when we come to 1 Samuel, it's almost a a question of, well, which one of those two is going to win? Is it going to be the the attitude of the judges, or is it going to be the attitude we see in Ruth? And so in in that sense, 1 Samuel is is actually more of a continuation of Ruth rather than a continuation of judges, because just as Ruth and Boaz were people after God's heart, so too are David and Samuel. And, And the mindset of the judges is still present in men like Eli and Saul, but in the end, it's those whose hearts are after the Lord that prevail. That's where we end the book of 1 Samuel. And so where we've come from in 1 Samuel is our theme was lessons from the heart because we were looking at many hearts, learning from them what kind of heart pleases or displeases the Lord. So where we're going now in 2 Samuel is with David turning from his bitterness, turning from his own ways, repenting and coming back to the Lord at the end of 1 Samuel, and then Saul's persistent stubbornness leading to his death, closing out 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel means the only one left now is David. And so 2 Samuel is going to focus entirely upon David, the one whose heart is after the Lord. And so while... 2 Samuel will still teach us lessons from David's heart, lessons from the heart. Paul's first recorded sermon in Scripture shows us that the theme of 2 Samuel has a slightly different focus, which is why the Septuagint writers eventually divided it into two books. So before we begin 2 Samuel, if we just turn briefly back to Acts, I want to highlight a couple things that 
Paul says, because we're going to take our cue from Scripture about how we're going to approach this book of 2 Samuel. In Acts chapter 13, in Paul's first sermon, he preaches, in verse 14, it mentions when they traveled from, this is their first missionary trip, when they traveled to this area where it mentions there of Antioch in Pisidia, they go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, they sit down, they're just going to, you know, participate in the synagogue service. So after they go through the normal routine of the synagogue service, Paul is somebody who's well-known as a rabbi, and, and so the president of the synagogue, he sees them, and he, and he knows there's visitors there. Barnabas is there too, and John Mark's probably still with them at this point. And he says, hey, if you have any word, verse 15, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, stay on. If you'd like to come up and share with us, we'd love to hear from you. And Paul's thinking, you got to be kidding me. I'd love to. And so Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel and you that fear God, give audience. Listen, I do have something to say. I do have a word of exhortation to share with you. The God of this people of Israel, verse 17, chose our fathers, exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers, foreigners in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm, which means, you know, with a, with a strong right hand, he brought them out. We know through the plagues and everything, through great deliverance, God brought them out of Egypt. Verse 18, and about the time of 40 years, he suffered their manners in the wilderness. He brought them out of Egypt and he put up with their nonsense for 40 years. But then, verse 19, when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, when they dispossessed the Canaanites, he divided their land to them by Lot, all the 12 tribes. So he's giving them a history of Israel, much like I did just a few minutes ago. And when he had done that, verse 20, after that, he gave unto them judges for about a space of 450 years, a huge chunk of their history, until something changed. Samuel the prophet. And after Samuel, the last judge, it says they desired a king. So God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was their king for about 40 years, Paul says. But here's where everything changes, verse 22. And when he, God, had removed him, Saul, he, God, raised up unto them David to be their king. This is the point we're at right now. God removes Saul, he dies in the battle against the Philistines in Mount Gilboa, and he's going to raise David up to be a king. And then here's where we're in this section of history. We're in 2 Samuel right now, and Paul's referencing that, and he says, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Well, one translator said this means, for he is a man as my heart desires him to be. That's interesting. In other words, David was a man as God's heart desires man to be, all of us to be. Now, The word after, it means down from or down into or all throughout. So David was a man who was after God's heart. There was a a down from, a down into, throughout. Something about God's heart had to do with that preposition. And what was God's heart? Well, 
Paul explains, which shall fulfill all my will. God's heart refers to what God wants. David was a man who dove into God's heart and allowed God's heart to influence his heart. And as a result, David was a man who understood what the Lord wanted. Do you get that? That's what it means to be a man after God's own heart. He dove into God's heart and allowed God's heart to influence his heart. And as a result, David was a man who understood what the Lord wanted. That's what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Now, of course, some of you are probably sitting there thinking like I did as I was studying this. How do you reconcile that with David's sins and failures? Like, I mean, if David was someone who dove into God's heart and let God's heart work on his heart to a place where David was one of those few people who really got God. He really understood what God wanted. If that's the case, then how do you murder your best friend because you slept with his wife and got her pregnant and and all these other, like, how do we reconcile that with David's sins and failures? Well, that's part of what 2 Samuel is going to teach us. You see, David didn't always do what the Lord wanted, even though he knew what God wanted. In fact, David missed God's heart many times. But here's the difference we'll see as we go through 2 Samuel. Unlike Saul, David did not create a pretend world out of his own heart. He didn't create a pretend world that ignored what God wanted. And so when David was confronted with his failures, he did not stubbornly bang his head against his own will, He repented and once again dove into God's heart and then began to follow the Lord again. And so when we want to understand what it means to be a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, we understand it doesn't mean perfection. You see, God knows our frame that we're simply dust, right? He knows we will fail. And the scripture says that he pities us like a father pities his children. But his heart when we fail, what God wants when we fail, is that we repent and return to his ways, what he wants. And so that's the theme of 2 Samuel. To have a heart that even when we fail, returns to the Lord and to his ways. And so as we take a deeper look at David's heart throughout the book of 2 Samuel, we're going to study what that looks like, what that means, both in times of closeness with the Lord and in times where we disobey the Lord. So with that in mind, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 1 as we begin this new journey. A man after God's own heart. Verse 1, 2 Samuel. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul... When David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag, it came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes torn and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and he did obeisance. David and his men returned to Ziklag, the place that had been their home for about a year and a half, uh, the, their home had been, had been burned down, so it's some ruins right now. But you can tell, again, this is a continuation. Uh, nobody starts a new book by saying, now. Now is something in relation to the past. It means so then, which means something had to have come before it. 
So we see the unity of the book here. The author continues the narrative right where 1 Samuel left off. And so it says that when they return back to the ruins of their homes with their recovered families, with their recovered possessions from the victory over the Amalekites, it's just two days that they've been in these ruins when somebody comes into the camp who's not part of their team. During those two days, David has no clue how the battle went. He has no inside information into his situation with Saul that it's, it's about to change. He doesn't have any intel that his homeland is now safe for him to return to, but David has already recommitted himself to trusting the Lord, whatever happens, right? He's not going to do it his own way anymore. And it's into that moment where he doesn't maybe know what the next step is, but he's going to follow the Lord, that news arrives which changes everything. For it says in verse 2, it came even, even just two days after this. Well, they're probably trying to pick up the pieces and figure out where to go from here. It, it came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul. A camp refers to army. This guy claimed to work for Saul, and he had his clothes torn, and dirt was on his head. That were, were, was a sign of deep grieving back then. If we're grieving, we don't tend to tear our clothes, and so we grieve in different ways. But that's how they grieved back then. They would tear their clothes, and they would put dirt on their heads. You, just you would, Everyone would know you were grieving over something. So clearly, when this guy comes in, and his clothes are ripped, and he's got dirt on his head, it's bad news. It's not good news that this guy's coming with. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and he did obeisance. He bowed down to David. A bit of an odd encounter. I mean, you've already got your own difficult things you're trying to work through. Where are we going to sleep? You know, where are we going to live? So why did this man come to David? It's all the way south. It's pretty much as far south as you can go in Israel. The battle was up in the Jezreel Valley. Why did he come to David after the Philistines had routed them? We'll find out eventually why he came to David, but David wants to know where he's from first. Verse 3, David said unto him, from whence did, camest thou? Where did you come from? And he said unto him, out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And so David said unto him, how went the matter? I pray you tell me. And he answered that the people are fled from the battle and many of the people are also fallen and dead pauses, and then he says, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead too. Saul and his heir are dead. Now, David, when he finds out where this guy's from the battle, he says, I pray you, which means please tell, give me news. What's going on? What happened? David, we saw him grow hard to his own people because of their betrayals, but clearly that's gone now. He, he has turned a quarter on his bitterness and he has become a leader again. He wants to know how, how they are. What's going on? How'd the battle go? Remember, just a week ago, he was ready to fight his own people, marching with the Philistines. So David's heart is definitely changed to the where it should be again. That is one aspect of a heart that's after God. The Lord loves and he serves us even though we betray him. In John 13, verses 1 through 5 it's one of the most interesting sections of Scripture where Jesus washes their feet. And it says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end 
a better translation would be he loved them through it all. Through it all. What all did Jesus have to love them through? We'll keep reading. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. He's part of the through it all. Judas. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He washes Judas's feet, the man who's going to betray him that very evening. You say, how do you know Judas was there? Verse 10, John 13, Jesus said to him, he that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. Judas is there. He loved him through it all. Even the betrayal washed his feet. I cannot have a heart after God if I'm going to hold grudges. Can't. You can't. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you, you will not have a heart after the Lord. You won't have a heart that dives into the Lord's heart and then allows God's heart to impact your heart in such a way that you know what the Lord wants. You won't. You won't have a heart after God if you're going to hold on to grudges. Your heart, my heart, needs to be tender towards our brothers and sisters, even the ones that let us down, even the ones that betray us. Well, this news is awful. It says that they have fallen down in battle, many of the people, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead. Now, he doesn't list the other sons because Jonathan would have been the heir, the oldest, but when David hears this news, he doesn't believe it at first. Verse 5, and David said unto the young man that told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, be dead? And the young man that told him said, well, as I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear. And blow the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me. And I answered, here am I. And he said unto me, who are you? And I answered, I'm an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, stand, or literally stand over me, I pray you upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. So this guy claims that he just happened by chance to be at, get Mount Gilboa, run into Saul. He happened by chance to just be in the thickest part of the battle where Saul is kind of being run down by the Philistine archers that we learned about. And that Saul, as he's being chased by, he actually mentions the chariots, which we had no mention of that in 1 Samuel. Chariots and the horsemen were chasing him. That he found Saul in, in a bad state. Uh, it could be that he was wounded. It could just be that he knew he was, he, you know, he was a dead man. And so he said, please stand over me and kill me because I, I can't get away, you know. So the, the question, of course, is, is, is this guy telling the truth? 
Because his account contradicts what we learned in 1 Samuel 31 verse 5, which tells us very clearly, and when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he didn't say dying, he says when he saw that Saul was dead, he committed suicide as well. So it is possible that Saul's suicide attempt failed. He was still alive and he was somehow trying to get away And then the Philistines discovered him and that this guy then finished the job. I always taught it that way in the past. However, I've discovered some issues with that view as I've studied this time through. As I said earlier, it doesn't say that Saul's armor bearer thought Saul was dead. He said said he saw Saul was dead. And then later on in 2 Samuel 4, verse 9 and 10... David references his conversation with this young man and explains that this young man had disingenuous motives. David answered Rechab and Baana, his brother, the sons of Rimmon, the Beriathite, and said unto them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of all adversity, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziglag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his news." So as this guy is sharing this with David, he's not in mourning. He's kind of excited. He's thinking he's got good news for David. He's saying, David, you don't have to be on the run anymore. I killed the guy that wants you dead. Can I get a sticker? (laughs) Student of the day, something, lollipop. Reward. David said he was after a reward. So I wouldn't argue with anybody over it because either thing is possible. It's possible Saul's suicide attempt failed. That would be the the crowning jewel of Saul's reign. But I do believe now this guy was lying. We know that the Amalekites were scavengers, and so it is more likely that this guy swooped in to plunder the dead while the Philistines were still chasing the fleeing Israelis. However it went down, this guy makes it clear why he's come to David in his closing words. Look at the end of verse 10 here in 2 Samuel 1. And I took the crown that was upon his head, Saul's head, and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Saul was my old boss, but you're my boss now, David. And here's the crown and his armband. It must have been some type of an important armband that Saul wore. This young man sought to turn someone else's calamity into his prosperity. And rejoicing at the expense of those who weep is never the heart of the Lord. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it tells us to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice, right? We're not to rejoice because someone else is weeping. Never. So, whether this guy's story is true or not, his whole attitude here is incorrect. Now, if this guy's story is true, even if it isn't true, it is ironic that the man who takes Saul's crown shouldn't even exist. God commanded Saul to wipe out every last Amalekite, but he disobeyed. So this is a sad picture of what happens when We don't deal severely with our flesh. We have already talked about multiple times in our study that the Amalekites are like a picture of our flesh. 
It plunders us in our most vulnerable moments. It kicks us when we're down. And that's why Jesus tells us to be merciful towards others' shortcomings, <laughs> but very serious in how we handle our own. In Matthew chapter 5, 29 and 30, Jesus utters that famous phrase, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better to go into heaven with one eye than to go into hell with both eyes. If your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Clearly, the point that Jesus is making is that be serious with your own sin. But with other people's, be a lot more gracious. We cannot give our flesh an inch because it's not going to play fair. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Say